Yo, what's up? Today on The Money Shop, I had Steve Chu from BumblebeeLinens.com, from MyWifeQuitterJob.com. He's also an author. Uh, he's just a really smart guy. Within like 10 seconds of us starting a conversation, I was like, God, he's smarter than me. I hope I can keep this podcast going and, and say things that are not dumb. Um, but I think I did that. We had a great conversation about just like what it's like to make money, what it's like to make a lot of money all at once online. Uh, we talked about, uh, e-commerce. He's a big e-commerce guy. He's got an e-commerce store where they sell handkerchiefs and they do millions of dollars of, of revenue. Um, and they all, he also teaches people how to start e-com stores and does extremely well with that business. Uh, so we talked through all of that. We talked about how much California sucks to run a, a business out of. I feel like I talk about California in like every single one of these videos. It's not on purpose. It's just cause I, I have family from California and I talk, I, that comes up in my mind a lot. Um, we also talked about how to make sure your kids aren't jerks when they grow up, uh, what it's like to write a book. So really cool, wide ranging conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. Steve is very, very, very knowledgeable and just has some like great ideas about stuff. So, uh, anyway, enjoy the podcast. See you in there. Steve Chu. What's up, buddy? Um, yeah. How you doing? Pretty good. What's going on, Bobby? Oh man. It's just, uh, I got a two year old right now. <laughs> it's so how many kids do you have? You have two kids, right? But I got kids are... two kids, but they're teenagers now. I don't think I could go back to oh two-year-old life. It is so – I mean it's a, it's so amazing. I'm going to say all the, the kind of like platitudes and stuff. Like it's so amazing. It's the best thing in the world. But my goodness, dude, it is such a grind when they're like in their uh, – he's into this thing right now where he's just like wants to say no to everything. So it doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> it's like It's like – just, Hey man, can you stand over there for a second? You're in the way. And he's like, no, I want to stand here. It's like, Oh my God, can we just not do this for like 10 minutes? Like just, just stop it. So what, at what age does that end? When, when am I in the uh, clear? Wait, is that your oldest one too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I only have one. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. When does that end? Uh, I think age four and five are my favorite four till like 10 or 11. Those, those are the golden years. I think oh, the golden years, what happens after that? Then you get in the teenage years and there's a whole different set of problems. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I've got, I've got two more years till the golden years. We wanted it. We want another one. So I think that's the problem. It's like, we're going to, we're going to go through this again. Yeah. You're a lot younger than I am. So yeah, you'll have the energy to do all that stuff. I, I could not have another kid today. I would die. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have the energy for it. Um, but yeah, man, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, you, I wanted to talk to you because you do so many different things. Like you do, you do a bunch of different stuff and I feel like you do a bunch of different, different stuff really well. <laughs> so, um, you, can you just tell everybody what you kind of, I don't know, what are your businesses? Yeah. Yeah. So I run an e-commerce store with my wife over at bumblebeelinens.com. We sell handkerchiefs and linens. Uh, we know each other through the blog. So I run a blog called mywifequitterjob.com, which is essentially a journal about, you know, our experiences running that e-commerce business. Uh, that led to a couple of online courses, which then led to a podcast, which then led to a YouTube channel. And I also run an annual e-commerce conference called the Seller Summit. That's what I'm saying. You do like 17 different things. <laughs> I mean, they're all related, right? And they all led to another. I, like, I, I actually created a couple of these things against my will, uh, but people were just asking for it. Like the event, for example. I probably wouldn't advise anyone ever create their own event. Is, does, is it hard? It looks really difficult. It's just a – okay, here's the problem with the event. Like you're getting like human beings who are kind of inherently flaky to all go to the same location all at once and get everyone in a hotel and all that stuff. It's, it's a logistical nightmare. Are there like – are there liability issues and like do you have to have different insurances and stuff like that? Like is there more complexity than there would be for just our standard online businesses? 
I think it's all a matter of risk, right? So our friend PT who runs FinCon definitely would get insurance. There's like thousands of people there. My event is small and intimate. It's usually a couple hundred people. We all kind of know each other because it's all within the same community. Probably less of a risk. Okay. So you don't worry about that. Are you doing these things in California? No, we are doing them in Florida. California is the worst place to do anything. That's what I was going to ask you because I was yeah. like, because so we just um, we just did a job posting. Uh, we've got a, a head of operations that we're hiring, or I'm sorry, a head of content that we're hiring. And uh, I was talking to our CFO, and we were like, where do we not want to hire from? And she gave us like a list of like 13 states, and she was like. I was like, why do we not want to hire from these places? And she went through some of the things like you have to create some different paid leave things that you might not have to create otherwise. But she was like, I don't even want to, we don't even need to get into California. It's that bad. <laughs> so I was like, I was thinking about you and I was like, you live in San Jose, right? Uh, we live in Mountain View. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So like, do you, are your businesses out of California? They are. Uh, I guess the fortunate aspect of having them in California is that we're already compliant. And so if you're out of state and you have something in California, they can go after you and they will go after you because California is very aggressive. Yeah. Like, has it caused it? Do you have employees for your linen? We do. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the difficulties? Like, why would I want to avoid California? Well, from if you're out of state? Yeah. Basically, they're going to go after you for tax, taxes, which are the highest in the country. That's the main reason. And there's there, other political reasons too, which I don't, we don't have to talk about, but yeah, oh, we can talk about it. I don't, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Wait, I'm not, this podcast, I'm trying, I'm not intentionally diving into politics, but I do think, uh, like I had Robert on a couple of weeks ago, Robert, Robert Farrington, and we were oh, talking okay, yeah. about just like, uh, he lives in San Diego. I love, like, I love California so much. I would live there in a heartbeat if it wasn't the way that it is <laughs> like, um, cause I live in Texas and I just see all the stuff and like, it's such a beautiful place and the weather's so amazing and everything's so great about it. But then there's like these, these issues. So, um, I've been trying to just talk through some of those things, especially business, like from a business perspective. I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, so, you know, my business partner, Tony, mm -hmm. uh, she ran an e-commerce store for a little bit and she was getting sales from California and you know, she decided because, uh, I think at the time she had like a fulfillment center over there in California and she said she wasn't getting that many sales in California, but because she had a fulfillment center there, which was part of Amazon, uh, she decided to register in California for sales tax. Big mistake. Because even though like she was well beneath the minimums for California, they basically kept harassing her to pay tax. So like once you're on the record and registered, you know, they'll harass you. I have another friend who, uh, you know, made sales in, in California. And, and I don't know if he was close to the threshold or not, but California just preemptively went after him and, and, and made him pay California sales tax. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, California is just very aggressive. Has it been like that the entire time you've been there? I mean, I, they don't go after me because I, I pay California sales tax, right? Cause I yeah. live here. So I have to comply with all that stuff anyways. Well, was there a time though? How long have you been operating out of California? Uh, it's our 16th year. Okay. Like, did it feel the same way 16 years ago or does it feel like it's like just accelerated? You know, California seems to have this money problem <laughs> all the time. So it's, it's, it's accelerated as it seems like they need more money. And as things go into recession, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, my businesses don't really feel it 
because we're already compliant. Like if I were out of state, I'd be worried. If I did a lot of business in California or had a lot of customers in California and I was out of state, I might be a little worried. Yeah, I've, we've jokingly talked about just like blocking all California traffic from websites. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you like don't I'm, sell physical products either, so you're probably safe. No, but our, you know? my accountant was telling me that like the, the info product stuff is coming. Like the sales tax, like basically it's just a matter of time We're because we're still in that. It's always been a gray area, right? Like, I don't know if, if that's something that you've dealt with or talked to your accountant about, but it's like always been this gray area. And it's like, I think within the next few years, like we're going to start seeing some more of that stuff come down, unfortunately. I mean, the most aggressive states are going to be California and probably New York. Yeah. Right. That was another one we had to not hire from, unfortunately, which sucks because I feel like there's probably so much talent there. There like, is. Like, it's just like, man, what kind of talent are we cutting out by by excluding these states, you know? But it's just kind of one of those things like – Well, I'm curious. I, I forgot. I, I know you posted it in the group, but uh, what, what position are you looking for? Uh, so for this hire, we're looking for a head of content. So somebody that's going to be um, – Basically, I have I had a head of content. I promoted her to head of operations, and so now we're we're filling that role, um, and that's really to just to kind of direct what we're doing from an SEO standpoint. Which last time I talked to you about SEO, you got me all freaked out because you said AI is going to destroy everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, what we're doing there, and then also what we're going to be doing on YouTube, we kind of started diving into the YouTube stuff a little bit more, which you're very successful on, um, and then just general. I don't know, just, just developing our content strategy more. And then we're hiring a, a head of product and affiliates in okay. December. So I'm just going to, they're all high skilled positions basically. I hope, I hope yeah. they're highly skilled people that come in, <laughs> but yeah, pretty much like it's, um, I've, I had contract teams for a long time and I've just, hmm, there's, it's a lot I, to me. I enjoy having employees a lot more, even though there's much more complexity and I feel like people headaches and stuff like that than there are with contractors. I just, I never really enjoyed having an all contract team. I, I, it's like renting versus buying a house, right? Like sometimes it might not make sense, but getting the house gives you stability. That's why we bought our office building earlier this year Yeah. because our rents were getting jacked up like 30% every year. And we always faced like, Hey, should we move out? But moving out is a pain in the butt when you're, when you're trying to move a business out. Right. So finally we decided to buy Probably not the best time because commercial property is going down mm. all over the place, but we bit the bullet. But now at least we're stable. Like I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. So how many employees do you have? Uh, we have four. Okay. Five, I guess, technically, if you yeah. count the ones in the Philippines. Yeah. And you've enjoyed that more? Well, I mean, they're stable. Like it's more stable, right? Uh, you, you don't have to worry about them like working at other places or doing a whole bunch of different things, dealing with different clients and whatnot. So it's kind of like owning a house versus renting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, it's I've enjoyed it a lot. I think the hardest lever for me to figure out is just the everybody's motivated so differently. You know, like I feel like yeah. it, it's I don't know, like when I first started hiring employees, I was like, man, they just they get a salary. Like why they should just be happy with that. Like, I don't understand why that, you know, but there's, everybody's got all these different levers that, you know, it's like there's profit sharing and there's, uh, you know, benefits and all that stuff. So I've trying, I'm trying to get a lot better at that as we hire more employees. Cause I kind of have to, have you, is that something that you've kind of like, I don't know. How do you feel about that? See, stuff? The, the employees that you're hiring are much more, I guess, skilled. Uh, so th most of our employees are kind of uh, warehouse workers, fulfillment, mm -hmm shipping we have a customer service person 
My my uh, best and favorite employee right now is my one in the Philippines. She does all my YouTube editing, podcast editing, and everything. And uh, I mean, so I, I used to run a large team when I used to work a full time job, and those were all highly skilled workers. And you're right, you actually have to talk to them and ask them what they want to be working on. Make sure they actually have a project that they really enjoy doing. If they are doing stuff that they don't particularly want to be doing, yeah. So. And, and everyone's motivated different ways. Like I remember some, some people were motivated by money. Some people were motivated by the work. Some people were motivated by the visibility of the work and how it affects the, the, the top line. Yeah. It's tough. It is tough. It is tough. Yeah, it's definitely been a big learning curve for me. And like, especially when you get high performers, I feel like I was talking to some, I was talking to one of my employees about this the other day. Like if you get a high performer, it's like, if they, if you have KPIs that are kind of like front facing, like everybody sees the KPIs, like you don't really want your employees like crushing KPIs all the time because it's like, okay, this might, this might be like a little bit too easy. But then if yeah. you make it too hard, like your high performers, like they don't, they don't want to like do something poorly, you know? So then if they do, then they, then they kind of shut down a little bit sometimes depending on their personality. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff. It's like you become like a psychologist almost. I mean, the smart employees also will, there's a little bit of sandbagging also in terms of what, <laughs> I, I mean, it's a delicate balance. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough, but I feel like you can move a lot faster. Um, you said that the recession's coming. So, I mean, I think it's already been here. I, if you think about it I, and I, the problem is I, I read all these, uh, stories about, you know, the, uh, the savings rate and all that stuff. Uh, people are just running out of money. I think across the U.S. So what's gonna? I, I asked Robert the same question when he came on. Um, yeah, because we've got student loans coming up and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like it's happening real soon. He didn't yeah. think that there was gonna be any. He was like, "No, it's gonna. There's nothing. Like most of the people aren't gonna pay." You know, and I was like, "Whoa, okay." He, like he's such a genius. Like I don't know if you've talked to him about just the intricate student loan details before, but like he goes way, way deep. But that's his entire business. Yeah. Um, but what do you think is going to happen over the next like six months to a year with the economy? I mean, we're at the highest level of debt, the lowest amount of savings, at least uh, in e-commerce. I think there's just going to be a tightening in terms of what people spend their money on, more on the essentials as opposed to some of the stuff that we sell. Maybe. Uh, I don't like I, that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like what you're saying to me. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a fact. I I, I don't know. What, what what did Robert say about the uh, student? I know nothing about student loans, just just so you know. But I do uh, know yeah. that they're gonna start paying. You're gonna have to start paying them again, right? Very soon. He, oh God, I don't want to butcher this because like he explained it very very well. Um, but basically, it was just like a lot of the people are gonna be essentially doing like no, like they won't have to pay anything, or like the people that weren't paying. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. I'm hoping our uh, our podcast editor just pulls a clip from what Robert said and just puts it right here. And then I'm just gonna be like, yep, that was great. Uh, payments are due. Um, so you got 45 million people that are gonna have to start making their student loan payments. But what I think is a lot of people don't realize in this debate is before the pandemic, seven to 10% of people didn't pay their student loans. They were in default. Yeah. That's probably gonna continue. And okay. you know, I can actually see that going up to like 15%, maybe 20% in the short term. But I think, you know, within a year, that'll probably get back to its historical average, which, it's not great, but that's what it is. And then I think a lot of people miss the fact that 30 to 40% of all student loan borrowers are on these income driven repayment plans. Yeah. And so they pay a percentage of their income 
and they paid a percentage of their income before the pandemic and they'll pay a percentage of their income now. Except the Biden administration recently lowered that percentage to 5%. And, uh, you know, a lot of people qualify for $0 a month payments. <laughs> yeah, so I saw that. It's like, okay, payments are restarting. <laughs> but like those that are like hurting the most financially, it's, they pay zero. And it, it sounds very like uncaring of me, but it's like your <laughs> monthly, your monthly budget, like what you bring in every month is not going to radically change because of these student loans. And those that do feel an impact, the only reason you're feeling an impact is because you make a significant amount of money. And when I say that is like this new save plan, if, if you're a family of four, you have to make over $65,000 a year before your payment goes past zero. <laughs> But his, his thing was just like, it's not like people are just going to have to spend tons and tons of money. Like the reality is most people are going to be doing income-based repayment. Um, and there's like some new program where it's going to go down to $0 for a lot of people. So they're not going to be paying mm -hmm. anything for a long period of time. So like his whole thing was just like, it'll make an impact, but it's not going to be the thing that tips us into just Armageddon. Yeah. Um, he, he felt the same way though. I think he felt the same way about just, there's going to be this like tightening, you know, it's like, there's going to be this just kind of constriction of what people can buy, which I think I agree with. Well, think about it this way. So uh, they decide to hold the rates steady, but the rates are really high. Let all the big purchases, people are probably going to put off, right? Because the interest rates are really high. So house, car, appliances maybe and whatnot until things start to ease up. And that's going to take time. So I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, I'm not a crystal ball, but it's going to be tight for at least a year. You you were a crystal ball on the AI stuff though. You got me freaked out about that. <laughs> you scared oh, me a little bit. About I still believe all that stuff. I don't know if you want to talk about it. Um, oh heck yeah! Just because of what I'm seeing now, and and just the pervasive use, even my kids are using it for their assignments and everything, just oh. for content, or just I'll give you an example. So uh, there's like a history a history class that my my kids are taking. And sometimes the book doesn't do a good job or if they need to write a paper. So they'll just say, hey, could you clarify the reasons for this? You know, and, and, and ChatGPT just gives the answer and they can take that and formulate it. And our business with the blog, I mean, a lot of mine is search-based. Is, is, is yours mostly search-based also? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So Bard just released their new updated version. I don't know if you've tried it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, and in fact, I don't really use Google search personally that much anymore. I'll type something in Bard first. If it's something that doesn't require the latest knowledge, then I'll use ChatGPT for it. And just, I, that's definitely where, where uh, you know, search is going. Okay. And when I use Bard, I might see a link at the very bottom for a citation, but I rarely click on it because the results that Bard gives me a lot of times says, as noted by this publication and whatnot. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, from a content perspective, I feel like it's going to, I don't think this stuff happens as quickly as it doesn't. You're right. We're I talking like two happens, or three years. Yeah. It's, I think it's going to happen though. And I was talking to the team about that. I was just like, look, we just have to keep diversifying. Like that's just all there is to it. And like we we're doing a lot of paid stuff, uh, like paid, uh, for people that don't aren't content people like paid advertising. Um, we're going into YouTube, we're doing all this different stuff, but like, I think it's going to happen a little bit slower than, than everybody was freaking out about. Yeah. Um, what I am curious about though, is how it affects 
like the economy writ large? Like how does it affect white collar jobs and things like that? Like where it's like your accountants and your attorneys and stuff. Like, do you see a big impact there? All right. So I can only talk about tech because I, I was a former engineer and I, I talked to my friends who are still in the industry. They've been using ChatGPT to code, to create hardware, to create software. And what that means in that industry is they don't have to hire as many people because the people that they do have can use it to code much more efficiently. Like, uh, I know most of your audience probably aren't coders, but for me, like I actually had to do quite a bit of coding recently in the last three weeks to upgrade my sites and, and write some things to integrate new payment processors. And I always forget the syntax, right? Because if you don't do it all the time, you get rusty. But I use ChatGPT to almost write, I don't know, maybe 70% of the code. And then I just tweaked Dang. it and edited it. It's almost like writing a blog post from scratch versus having something and editing it. It's much faster to edit something than it is to write something from scratch. Do you think that you use it more than like, I'm going to say like the average person would be using it right now? Like, do you, are you just like, are you somebody that's like an early adopter? And so you're like, I'm going to use this and figure it out. Uh, my personality is generally not an early adopter because I like to make sure things aren't busted before I use it. But I, I guess in this case, if I talk to my like friends who are parents and everything around the school, you know, we, I got different groups of friends. Most of them are not using it at all. Like most okay. of the people that I just interact with here on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. In the content space and the e-commerce space, everyone's using it. Right. And then kids are starting to use it in schools. Does that freak you out with your kids using it? Like does it – do you think it's a good thing? It doesn't because uh, – I think I'm quite a bit older than you, Bobby. Like when I was growing up, it was all about memorizing facts and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then maybe your generation was how to search for the facts so you didn't have to memorize anything anymore. Yeah. And then now it's going to be not like all the information is already there. It's going to be like how do you query the AI properly to get it to do what you want or be more efficient with what you're doing? Yeah, well, my generation, I was trying to – so I'm 35. Um, okay. We were trying to figure out how to use the TI-83 calculator, which is a Texas Instruments calculator, yep. um, and how to play the snake game on our Nokia cell phones. <laughs> so like I don't know. It's like we were – my I grew up like right when the internet was like – I don't know. I feel like it was like there, but it was like just beyond emails. Like it was starting to kind of grow a little bit. I just wonder like how – how much smarter are these kids? Like my kid right now, like he's going to be so much smarter than I am because he can just ask this like personal assistant, these crazy complex questions. And it's like, it can dumb it down to like any age level and things like that. Like, are your kids doing stuff like that? See, I have the opposite feeling. I think kids are going to get dumber. Oh, okay. That's well, I don't know if that's good. I was going to say that's good. <laughs> well, what I mean by that is like, they don't have to think anymore. They just type something in. Like what if the internet goes down? They're screwed. At least like with us, you know, we have like these skills that we've built up over time. We're not dependent on all these, uh, you know, on all these uh, software machines and AI and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. That's probably better. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know. If I mean, that's, that's a not a good way. thing, but I mean, that's, <laughs> that's where it's going. But maybe, you know, maybe all this stuff is going to be pervasive and the skill set's going to be different. It's almost like, you know, when I was an engineer, like when I graduated, designing hardware was all the rage mm -hmm. and then these days there's less and less of a need for pure hardware guys and a lot more software guys and data scientists yeah 
Did, were you around? How old are you? I'm 48. 48. Okay. You look so much younger than that. I got to tell you that. <laughs> you, you look great. Um, so were you around when like email was starting to come around and be yes. big? Yes. Yes. Actually, when I, uh, when I was in college was when email first came out. Did you feel like, were you one of the people that was like, it's not going to change, like, this is not a big deal, it's not going to change anything, or did you feel like that was, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, did that happen slowly, or was it like a really quick, like... I, I tell you what went quick. I remember I was on Yahoo when I was in college, like the first year. Yahoo was all the rage, making all this money and everything. I would say within a year and a half to two years, Google had completely taken over. Wow. Across okay, campus. So it can happen quick. Uh, I don't like that. Well, anyway, I mean, this is why I'm doing a lot of video, and you mentioned you're doing a channel too, right? Or you yeah. have a channel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've got a we've got a little baby channel. We've got like 500 subscribers. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we're kind of doing this this thing. Like, I just I'm trying to. I, I really like how Barstool Sports has done a lot of their. I, I like how they've done a lot of their content where it's like it's not just me. Like I, I'm I've always been worried about getting trapped by like. I never want to feel like it's like the business like totally relies on me recording yeah. stuff. And so we've we've started basically the employees that we bring on are going to be doing their own content. We're going to try out different show formats and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't know how that's all going to go. Um, but that's kind of, the goal is to have multiple personalities over time that yeah. are all kind of growing the channel. Um, but I, it, that's different than what you've done. Like you haven't you've got quite a few subscribers, right? Yeah. I don't know what I'm at now, like 260K or something like that. Oh, something famous. On that, on that order. Here's the thing. Like I have the opposite philosophy as you, but yours is a much better philosophy to have if you want to run like this gigantic business. Yeah. Right? Uh, I always optimize for sleeping at night because I, in my mind, people are inherently flaky. And I don't want like my head of content to just all of a sudden decide to leave and like, oh my god, I don't know how to do anything. Like I'm, yeah. I'm screwed. I guess if you get big enough, that that in theory won't happen. But when you're in that tweener stage, it can be pretty risky, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, it's when we have somebody leave the company, it's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a lot. You know, it sucks for the whole team, but it just that's why it's like I guess you get to a weird point where it's like you can either keep the business a little bit smaller and nimble and like yeah higher you know just like just or you can do what i'm doing and just try to grow it into a monster which i don't even i don't know if that's smart or not yet it just seems like the thing that i want to do when did yeah. you decide that you didn't want to do something like that i mean i think that's always been in my personality but there was this point where like bumblebee linens our e-commerce store is just making a lot of money and I was like, okay, let's scale this thing. Let's grow it as fast as we can. Yeah. And uh, and it, during those years, I I wasn't used to making a lot of money. You know, I had I had a well-paying engineering job, but just to get all that, like I I remember one month we, what what I made in a year, I, I made in like two weeks, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what what am I gonna do with? And so I kept scaling it. And I I'd set these ridiculous goals, and we I'm a cheap guy, as you can probably tell. I don't even spend, you know anywhere near what we make and here I was moving the goalposts and pretty much driving my wife crazy and then one day she came to me and this is right after we got on the Today Show and like we got these ridiculous number of orders and we, we couldn't like, we had to literally work like 14 16 hour days just to fulfill them and she came to me and she's like this isn't worth it why are we doing this we don't even spend the money that we have you know 
And then it was at that point when she broke down, I was like, you're right. Why, why are we going for money? We should optimize for lifestyle instead. And I don't know if this is like it for you, but like I have an ego. Like on, on one hand, I want to grow something really big. But on the yeah. other hand, I also want to enjoy life. So it's like this constant struggle. Because if I'm not trying to grow as fast as I can, I might not be necessarily living up to my potential, which I want to do. But on the flip side, I'm making everyone else miserable. So there's, you got to find that happy medium. Yeah, I, I really – the only reason that I have gone down this road of trying to just hire more people and let's grow to a really big company is just that when I was doing more like solopreneur work, I was – depressed. Like there was something very like it was missing. I've, something was missing there. And I've kind of, in, I found that I really enjoy like the people interaction, you know, just having that every day and like having, it's like the team and it's like, you know, we're, we're all in it together. And, and so we're doing some stuff like we're doing like pro, we're going to be doing profit sharing and, and equity and things wow. like that for employees. Um, but I, that makes me happy for some reason. And fortunately it's like, I kind of, it's like a double-edged sword because it's like, I know that my life is going to get a lot more stressful and complex over the next 10 years than like, than not. <laughs> you know? So it's like, I, I, I really have always envied people that, um, that ha are just like, that know exactly what they want. And especially people that are just like, I'm going to grow this business and I'm going to make great money. And then I'm going to like, just spend time doing what I want to do. It's like, I feel like I'm going to figure some of those things out as I get older and like my kid gets older and maybe I'll dial it back a little bit. Um, but I've always thought that's like really admirable. I mean, I think the way I keep my ego in check is I just learn one new skill every single year. Uh, this year, I launched a book. Um, the year before was TikTok, I believe. The year before that was YouTube. And I just focus on that one thing for a year. So I'm constantly learning, and that's usually good enough for me. And then I tend to focus on things that don't require a lot of maintenance or work. So uh, you mentioned being a solopreneur. I, I actually don't mind because you know, I, I have... I have tennis, I got volleyball, I got all these activities that are outside of work. And when it comes to the actual maintenance, I have this routine now where I can work about 20 hours a week and still maintain all the stuff that I have because most of it isn't physical. And then we have the employees to handle the physical part of that. And I also have my wife, which I also want to add. She's great at operations. So she runs the e-commerce store and I focus on marketing and the tech stuff, which is the stuff that I enjoy. Can you tell me about the book a little bit? Because you mentioned something there. You said uh, it was actually really funny. One of the favorite, my favorite things that you've said to me before. Um, I was asking you like why you did the book, and it's right behind you on the shelf, Family First. Um, and you were like, "I did it because of ego." Yeah. <laughs> it's just like such a great answer because like <laughs> nobody says that, you know. Because I'd love to write a book, and I think it's probably because of that. You know, it's like I, I think that would be cool to do someday. Um, so, can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So what's funny about my life and the way I was brought up is my parents, they know the business that I run, but they don't really understand it. And the book was the first thing that my mom actually understood. And when I hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, she was like, oh, my God, you're a bestseller. <laughs> you know, she, the book doesn't make any money. Let's just be clear. Uh but she got more excited about that than anything else that I've ever done. She's never watched a YouTube video. She's never really read any blog posts or any. I've been creating content for over a decade now, but the book was the most important part. So, when you say it doesn't make any money, can you? Exp I, I don't think people know how books work. Like I don't think that the the average person thinks like. I think they think you're selling 
tons of books and just making tons of money from the books. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm exaggerating and saying that it doesn't make any money because I did get an advance. So I got a six figure advance for writing the book. Right. And what that basically means is that the publisher is basically loaning you the money essentially. Right. And then all the future book sales go towards that advance before you make any more money. Right. And, and plus the publisher makes the bulk of it. So I, I went to traditionally publish out. Obviously, if you self-publish, you can make a lot more money. For me, as I mentioned before, it was, it was due to ego. Like I wanted it to be in bookstores, in the airport, Barnes and Nobles and all that stuff. I wanted to walk my kid to the bookstore and say, hey, look, check out your daddy's book on the shelf. Yeah. Those were my reasons. If you want to make money, you self-publish. If you want an ego trip, <laughs> go, go, go the traditionally published route. And there is something to be said about more distribution also. Going the traditional way, you can have books, you can get international deals, books all over the retail stores. And so the book, I think, and this is really hard to measure, but it's a really good lead gen tool for all my other businesses and getting my story out there. That's what I was going to ask about. Like, what is that process like? Because you always, all of my friends that have done books, they go, it's like leading up to the book launch. They're all of a sudden they're getting on CNBC and Wall Street Journal. Like they're getting on all of these major publications. Is that something that like, are you doing the outreach for that? Or is the publisher doing the outreach, like connecting with their contacts and like getting people the interviews? I would say 90% of the outreach is done by you. Like you're responsible for marketing your book. I did have a publicist over at the publisher and she got me in a couple cool things actually. So I I don't know if you fly United, but there's Hemispheres magazine Mm -hmm. that's on the plane. And a couple of my friends just emailed me out of the blue and say, hey, I was reading Hemispheres and I saw you in there. And that made me feel really good. Um, They got me a couple of podcast interviews, but for the most part, I think I went on 40 to 50 podcasts to promote the book. And just the effort in promoting the book leads to all these great things. Would I have done all those things if I didn't have the book? Probably not. So was it easier for you, like, were you having to pitch to, what, what uh, news publications did you get on for this? News publications? Um, not so much news. It was mostly podcasts. Okay. Yeah, mostly podcasts because that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck. I mean, I can outline my book strategy if, if you're interested. Um, yeah, heck yeah. It's a, it a three-pronged strategy. So one was podcasts. Uh, two was bulk buys with companies. So I run an event. I get a lot of people sponsoring the podcast. I just went up to them and said, hey, if you buy X number of books and share them with your audience, because you have to get real people, books in the hands of real people, yeah. then I will do things like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you some podcast reads or I'll do a YouTube video for you and that and whatnot. And then the third prong was I kept doing all these workshops where the book was the price of admission. Here's the thing about books. People don't read these days. There's so much more there's, there's so much other ways people consume content, right? Video, TikTok, Instagram. Unfortunately, like book sales have been trending down over the years. So you don't sell the book, you sell the good stuff that comes with the book. I I, I should say the book is like the side piece. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Did it suck to write the book? No, that was actually fun. Um, so what I did is I hired my good buddy Jeff Goins. He's a best-selling author to help me organize my thoughts. And I think before I wrote the book, I had like 800 blog posts, 
400 videos and whatnot, and he helped me organize it into a cohesive uh, structure for the book, which was actually very rewarding because that that content is content that I could put out on YouTube later on, you know, break apart little pieces of the book and, and emphasize. So it ended up being like this huge content pool for me for all my other stuff. Okay. Did you use any AI to help you write the book? I did not. AI was not around. Oh, okay. Man, so it, it took me three now. years to write the book. That's, uh, okay, that's a lot. <laughs> the first year was writing the proposal because in order to convince a publisher to pay you like a six-figure advance or whatnot, you have to show them that you can move books and you have to show them you have something of substance. So it took a full year to do that. Second year was writing the book. And then the third year was polishing slash launching the book. That's a, that's a longer process than I was thinking you were going to say. I just, that's what I always, I, every, every one of my friends that writes the book, I'm like, is it really worth it? Like, is it, does it feel like it's worth it or is it just like a grind? It depends if there's pressure. Oh, okay. Right. So if the publisher says, Hey, you got to get this book out in like one year and, and you're feeling pressure, then it can be not that fun. Uh, I had a mixture of both. I did have a deadline, but I had enough content written already that just needed to be massaged. So I didn't feel um, that up against the wall in terms of the deadline. Although I did end up reading the book probably 20 to 25 times in its entirety to just kind of edit it. But after a while, you know, you just, just kind of get sick of your own writing. So that part <laughs> was kind of a grind. Yeah, the editing part was a grind. Okay. But overall, you feel like good project to do ego feels good like everything worked out okay so my goal with the book was best-selling list or bust what, what does bust mean like, what would you have done if you didn't get it <laughs> well i had a strategy for for getting to it get yeah. getting it yeah. and i did i did the math and figured out that i could do it if i executed this this amount of work because if you're going to spend three years doing something like you may as well go all out. That's that's always been my philosophy. Because I'm probably not going to do this again, right? Um, unless the publisher decides to give me some insane advance, maybe I would consider doing it. Okay. Yeah, so worth it. I, I mean, it was rewarding. Like I have all these photos with my kids at the bookstore. Like these are memories that I'll never forget. Uh, at my event, I discovered I hit the Wall Street Journal bestselling list just as I was about to go on stage to give the closing keynote. Oh, that's awesome. And that was very rewarding. My business partner, Tony, put together a video for me where like all, all, a whole bunch of my friends said nice things about me on video. I did a book signing at the conference itself. All these things like I'll never forget. So in that respect, yeah. it was very worth it. Yeah. No, that's – I mean did you, did you get like a plaque or anything like that? Did they send you anything? <laughs> you know what's funny about that is they'll sell you a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Did you buy it? <laughs> I did not buy it actually. Oh, dang. I did not buy it. Um, That's yeah. a good business model. Like you is it, is it pretty expensive? It's not expensive, but I mean I didn't need the I had the book, right? The book is a plaque. Right, right. So that book that you see right there uh is signed by a whole bunch of attendees at my event. And to me that's better than yeah. a plaque. My wife made me a I haven't hung it up yet, but she made me a I guess you can call it a plaque. It has the Wall Street Journal. Like we went and bought the paper version of the Wall Street Journal. I didn't even know they sold those anymore, but you can get <laughs> them. Either. And then, you know, it has the, the uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller thing and then, uh, you know, a book cover at the top. So that was pretty cool. Better yeah. than any plaque. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny. Yeah, it's the same thing. Um, I've got one of those like ClickFunnels 
the I don't know if you've seen them, like the gold plaque click funnels. Oh yeah, thing, yeah, the gold yeah. Record. yeah. And I always thought they just give that to you because it's like you do. I think it what was the number on it. You do a million dollars in sales with click funnels, right? And it's yeah. like I thought they like gave it to you, but it's like you have to buy it, and it's not cheap. I remember. Oh, it was you like, have to buy it. You I have didn't to buy know those. That. Most people don't know that. Yeah, you got to buy. I thought they presented it. to you on stage. Uh uh-uh. no, do you they they mail it to you and yeah, you gotta pay for it. And there's wow. a there's like a verification process, like they go into your ClickFunnels account and they see all that stuff. But I was just like it was a little bit I mean, it's a cool thing to have. I got I don't even use it in my podcast setup or anything, but it was just like, damn, you gotta pay hundreds of dollars for this this thing. <laughs> you know, it's like um but I guess that's just how stuff goes, man. They don't wanna waste money on it. Um I had you a question. See that about, YouTube thing back there? That's free. Like YouTube, That's free? Oh. Yeah, YouTube sends it to you actually. Is that the silver one? Yeah, that's the silver one. I'm going for the gold, but that's gonna be a long time until I get the gold. Yeah. yeah. Do you get anything else other than just the plaque? No, I mean the plaque felt pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, you mentioned earlier when you like you were making good money at your job, and then you made I don't remember what you said. You made like the however much you made in two weeks was as much as you made in your your day job. What did that feel like? It felt like funny money, to be honest with you. In fact, I still get those feelings, especially when it comes to selling digital products. So I just did a a webinar uh, last week, and it probably generated 50-something thousand dollars in just a span of three days. And that just feels like funny money to me. Because you tell anyone, like any of my friends that that happened, they'd be like, what would you do, rob a bank? If I told my mom that, she'd be like, are you dealing drugs? It's funny money. Does it make you happy at all? Does it make me happy? Uh, I've been doing it long enough now that it's it almost feels like par for the course. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, what does make me happy, however, is that I'm going to be able to help my mom get a house in our neighborhood so that we can hang out more. So I have a goal there. Houses here are really expensive mm-hmm. in, in California, which is another one of the reasons you shouldn't <laughs> move out here. <laughs> So my mom's coming from Maryland over to California, and she's she has sticker shock. So, yeah, uh, yeah, a couple more webinars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just gonna be hustling webinars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just something I always I like to ask people that question, like especially people in the digital product world, because I agree with you. Like it does feel like fake money sometimes. It's a very strange. Like I think that if you if well you sell physical products too, but like the info products and things like that, it's like you you write some words, you know, you click some buttons and then like, if it all works out really well, like all of a sudden you make all this money very, very quickly. Yeah. And I remember the first time that that happened, um, back in 2018 with our, our Facebook side hustle course in my other company. And it was like, we did $136,000 in the first weekend. And I, I was a teacher before that. <laughs> so like, oh, I, had, no, I had never God. seen that kind of, like I'd never seen something like that. And I remember what we, we basically, um, at the end of that launch, we, you know, we transferred 60 something thousand. We didn't have any expenses back then either. It was like, there was, it was just me and my business partner. So yeah. we like basically just split it down the middle and transferred it out. And I remember seeing that transaction and I was like, I was, and I hate, I think people would hate hearing this. A lot of people would, but I remember not feeling anything about it. Like I remember not being like as happy or like joyful as I thought it would be to make more than my teaching salary in like a lump sum in a weekend. And I, it was like very disappointing. Like, have you ever, have you dealt with any of that? The reason why is it's because just, it's just numbers on a screen. Like if it came to you in cash in $1 bills, yeah. you threw it on a swimming pool, 
that that would probably make <laughs> yeah that might hurt a little bit yeah it's just amazing it's like we all spend our all so much time like chasing money and like i think that i think that money can um like you said like money can make things certainly more convenient for you and like certainly there is happiness that comes from the things that do come from money but i think most people would be really shocked to find out like how it doesn't doesn't feel like some big i don't know it's very strange i don't know how to exactly explain it and i, I feel like a jerk every time i do explain this to somebody because it's like they're like oh that would be nice like i wish i you know and i and i feel that because i was a teacher before but i don't know i, I mean to me money is just security mm. so like my spending habits haven't really changed the only thing that i would say really changed with making the money was i get, when i go out to eat i don't really watch what i order now but outside of that i i don't buy a lot of gadgets i don't buy nice cars i already have a house um I mean, I'll, I'll take, le I'll spend my money on experiences like lessons, like tennis lessons or trips and that sort of thing. But even the trips are covered because e-commerce, we spend so much money on ads and shipping and you get yeah. the right credit cards that give you four X. Like we don't really pay for flights, hotels or anything like that. So that's, it's really about sleeping at night for me. Yeah. Once we started running a lot of ad spend, I, I found that exact same thing to be true with the, the points and everything. That is, that is a very cool perk. I think of running a business where you yeah. are like spit where you spend a lot of money Are you on mx gold yep yeah <laughs> yeah if i'm on mx gold um and it's great i mean it's 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 awesome because like anytime we want to go because i'm the same way like i i mean i spend more on like shoes you know that kind of stuff but yeah. i don't we don't spend a lot of money on like a lot of fancy stuff but i do play golf and i like we like to travel so like we'll we'll spend more on like a nice family vacation than I would have ever spent before. Yeah, I couldn't yep. have afforded to spend it. But that's the kind of stuff that I have spent money on. What's always interesting to me is like when you look at YouTube especially, um, and just like the TikTok people, like they're buying stuff that's like like they'll spend so much money on clothes, like eight thousand dollars on a on an outfit or more, you know, or like a like a fifty thousand dollar watch. Like have, is that something that you've ever wanted to do or are you just kinda like I'm not gonna buy anything. I mean, I have people sending me stuff. Oh, uh, would I, would I ever buy it? Uh, probably not. Okay. I, I'm not really into watches or clothes. I mean, I this T-shirt's probably like five years old. I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm married. I'm a middle-aged Asian dude. Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, I I don't really need to like look look that great. Uh, I do spend a lot on like staying in shape, I guess. I've, you know? I've started to do that too. Yeah. I hired a fitness coach and yeah. got the gym membership. I feel like that's important. Yeah. Like I feel like that's something that I don't, as I, now that like, as soon as I turned 35, I was like, oh man, I got to do something here. <laughs> like I got to get it together. You know, did you have wait, that? Wait till you hit age four, like age 40 is, is when things started falling apart for me. Oh, don't tell me that. Uh, <laughs> you got five years. Enjoy these next five years. Like now I, if I play, I'm playing ultimate today. I, I, I come back. I literally take a nap. <laughs> and then I need a day of rest before I can do anything else. Dang. So. Does your wife feel the same way about the money stuff as, as you do? Like, does she have the same mentality about it? She does. Uh, see, I, I like to think that I married really well. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I did marry really well. She's very frugal. Uh, she still finds deals. Her only vice is she likes to buy an occasional expensive handbag, but that's right. about it. Okay. Uh, she loves vacations. So, you know, we go on these nice vacations. But she's got a good head on her shoulders. She's, she she doesn't go nuts either. I think that's important. Yeah. Did she 
can you tell me a, a little bit more about just her story of like actually quitting her job and then like running the business full time? Like, was that a difficult yeah. transition for her? No, not at all. So she hated her job. Like she hated it. She hated the aspect of going to the office. Uh, she, she, she wasn't, she didn't care much for coworkers and that sort of thing. And like every morning we'd have breakfast together and literally she would say, Hey honey, I'm off the hell hole. I call my job now Dang. Like every morning. That sucks. And so, you know, when she became pregnant, great opportunity for her to quit. She said, Hey, I'm going to quit. I flipped out because you know, <laughs> we, you need two incomes to, to live here in California. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, we, we found that handkerchief store. And, and the story behind the store was kind of by accident, too. When we first got married, she knew she was going to cry because she's a crier. And uh, we, we spent all this money on photography. And she didn't want to be seeing the photos drying her tears with Kleenex. So we looked all over the place for handkerchiefs. The only place to find them was this factory in China. We ordered a bunch, used a handful, sold the excess on eBay. They sold really well. And so we decided to launch a handkerchief store. Dang. Bumblebee linens, right? Bumblebee linens. Yeah. Man. And it's like, how quickly did it grow from that? Yeah, it hit $100,000 in profit in our first year. And then like the, awesome. in the early years, is going double and triple digits. Dang. Yeah. And you, it's like, do you have any, is like the plan just to just keep running it? Are you trying to grow it? Are you cool with where it is right now? Yeah. So... I think the thing with physical products is that it's a lot more energy to grow. Like okay. the revenue velocity is, I think, much higher than like an info product mm -hmm. because you need to build an, in, uh, an audience before you sell an info product. Whereas if you're just selling physical products, it's kind of self-explanatory. So it grew really quickly for us. What I'm focusing my energy on is mainly growing the digital side of the business since you don't have to ship anything. It's a lot easier. In terms of the store, we are launching a new product line uh, this year, something we haven't done since COVID. Uh, we got this DTF printer. It's a direct-to-film printer, which allows us to print on bags, basically anything. Yeah. And uh, I'm really excited about that because I learned a whole bunch about DTF technology, how to set up the printer, maintain it, and all that stuff. And that should grow our business in the next couple of years. Okay. But typically, so I don't focus on growing that as fast as I can. Uh, how are I already the, had that meltdown with my wife. So, <laughs> how are the uh, like? Have you ever thought about doing an acquisition or seeking an acquisition? You know, if I were to start all over again, I'd probably go that route. Okay. Because growing the business from scratch is kind of a slog, right? If we were just up and running right away in e-commerce with something already in place, would have been a lot easier. Same with the info side, right? You buy a blog or something mm -hmm. that already has traffic and you just monetize it. Of course, this is all knowing what I know now. Like I know what I'm doing now. Back then, would I bought something without knowing what I was doing? That The answer probably still would have been yes. Really? Interesting. Uh, just for fun because you, you – like once it's making money, like it forces yourself to, to learn a whole bunch. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Like I what need a they, kick in the butt sometimes to, to do stuff. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, what were the acquisition multiples pretty much the same as they are like info business or is it higher, lower? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm, I'm always envious like in our group when people publish their uh, their numbers. I, I would say in e-commerce, it's about three or four X, which I mean, okay. it's okay. I, I think the info product space is, is higher, right? Based on what I saw. From what I understand right now, it's... Right now, it's a depressed market. It's three to four X. 
Um, but it can be, you know, when things are really good, when the, all the money was super cheap, it was, you know, much higher. Um, but then you see like penny hoarder, they did, it was like a two X, but it was for a hundred million dollars. Right. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's all over the place, but, um, but I think three to four is probably normal right now. Yeah. I mean, to me, like people always ask me if I'm going to sell my businesses to me, running them isn't that much effort. And if I'm going to sell for three or four X, I may as well just run it for another three or four years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I wouldn't sell unless I just absolutely was tired of running it. I just didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. Yeah. I have it. This one of those things, like I kind of, I plan to, I think maybe sell someday or I'm always going to set up for the event that we, we do. But I've set a really stupid high number for like what I would ever sell for. Um, so it's going to be, oh, a yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a very long time. Um, I think last question, cause I know you got a hard stop. Uh, I was talking to Jillian Johnsrud. Have you ever talked to her? Hmm. Um, she's great. She's uh she's kind of a proponent. She's kind of a fire person and kind of proponent okay. of like mini retirements and stuff like that. Um, but she travels like six months out of the years with year with her kids. And I was, I'm always curious cause I got this two year old. Um, I don't have to worry about this at all yet, but like, how do you keep it real for your kids? Like, how do you, how do you make sure that your kids aren't jerks when they grow up? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just learning as I go, but I will tell you this. We've, we've tried to instill in our kids the value of money. So they kind of caught the entrepreneurship bug. So they started this uh, t-shirt store print on demand when they were nine and 11 years old, you know, made a couple thousand bucks with it. That's awesome. And uh, that was a lot of fun for them. And then my daughter uh, launched another store selling her own handmade jewelry. And then now she's working on a course that teaches people how to sell on Etsy, uh, you know, on both a quantitative and a qualitative level. So, yeah. you know, entrepreneurship is, is strong in the family. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I feel like that's probably – is that something you encouraged or is it something that like – she just saw and was like, I'm going to do this too. I think, you know, your kids see what you do and they kind of want to copy you in a lot of ways. Okay. So I, th I think that's how it started. They were like, Hey, I, I want to do this. I was like, okay, well I'll show you how to do it. That's and cool. you just ask me questions and I'll help you with it. Yeah. Um, and it's a couple thousand dollars to a kid is probably. Yeah. I mean, probably they, rich. I mean <laughs> that money didn't go to them cause they would just blow it on Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> but but if they want to buy anything like clothing or, or stuff, yeah, they, they can spend it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'd love to have you on again. Um, when, what do you have going on? You want to promote anything? Oh, uh, do I want to promote anything? Well, if you guys want to know more about just my entrepreneur, entrepreneurship story, go over to the family pick up the book. I'm actually giving out $690 in free bonuses. There is a bonus three-day workshop on how to get started in e-commerce. There's a two-day workshop on how to get started with blogging, podcasting, and YouTube. Uh, if you want to learn how to sell physical products online specifically, just go over to mywifequitterjob.com slash free. Sign up for my free six-day mini course. It's a really good video mini course. Uh, let's see if you ever want to hang out in person, I run an annual e-commerce conference called the seller summit. And if any of you guys are getting married, I'll hook you up with some hankies hey. over at bumblebeelinens.com. Hey, yeah. that's awesome. Cool, man. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on everybody. Please buy the hankies. All right. We got <laughs> to support Steve here. Um, and yeah, man, appreciate you coming on. Cool. Thanks for having me.